Is it fair to say that bloating is not normal? Yes. As in, <laughs> we shouldn't be we shouldn't be bloating. I would say so. Yeah. The way I describe it is when I ask patients, "How is your gut health like?" If they answer with, "I don't really know. I've never thought about it," that's a good answer because it means that it's working in the background. It's doing your digestive system is working. Your processing things properly and you never really have to think about it because it's never a problem so mm. you know they say you know i said what are your bowel movements like and they go yeah good i don't really think about it i have one a day and okay cool there's no problem but if it's at the forefront of your mind if you notice yourself you know i'm gassy i'm bloated i'm i, I have to think about where the nearest bathroom is and i hear this all the time i don't want to go on long car trips in cases no bathroom around if those are the thoughts at the forefront of your mind there is a problem Dear Balancer, I know you're a determined person on the lookout for ways to live a more fulfilling and balanced life, but you're busy. And if we're being honest, that busyness often comes at the expense of your priorities. The Balance Theory podcast is made to teach busy bees just like you how to find and own your own definition of balance so that you can become unapologetic in how you choose to spend your time. I'm your host, Erica, and together let's find your unique balance. All right, Balancers, today's guest is a clinical nutritionist specializing in autoimmune and gut health, two topics that are super important in today's day. He's also an entrepreneur and interestingly, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. It's a pleasure to welcome Marco Papukowski onto the show today. Marco, a warm welcome. Thank you, Erica. Glad to be here. And uh, the most impressive part of the bio was your pronunciation of my surname because uh, that's <laughs> always been... <laughs> It's always been sticky, so thank you. I'm glad. No, to be no, here. you're welcome. I'm glad I got it right. That's always an important one. Um, so funny. We were just chatting a little bit before we got on air. We actually have quite a few mutual friends. Pretty sure we've been at the same events, but never actually met. So it's always nice when I get the opportunity to make these connections with people through the podcast too. So it's really nice to have you on. I want to start with you. Obviously, have quite a hybrid, you know, nature of interests. Can you just detail what a day in your life looks like? <laughs> yeah, good question. I, it's very eclectic. Like I, I am, I have a few different passion projects, and a few, and I and I think like over the years things have changed priorities for me. In my early twenties, what was really important to me is different to what's really important to me now, and that's constantly evolving. But a day in the life generally looks like uh, wake up anywhere between six to seven a.m. I don't have any crazy morning routines. I like to uh, have a cup of coffee. I'm a double espresso type of guy. Some water. I like to get some sun whether it's a 10 minute walk or a 15 minute walk. And then I get straight into work. Work generally in the mornings, it'll be having, looking over cases for patients, uh, having team meetings with the other practitioners and figuring out what we're going to do. And then in the afternoons, it'll generally be calls or patient calls or things like that. And then somewhere in there, I'll fit in a workout, whether it's an hour of jujitsu or just 45 minutes, 50 minutes at the gym. And then usually some dinner, reading, spending time with my girlfriend. That's Basically, on the weekend, see family, but it's a pretty normal life. Nothing out of the ordinary, really. No, that's awesome. You've made um, such a, a hybrid of things seem so simple. It's like I've always relaxed hearing your day. So that's that's great for you. I mean, today we're going to dive into some really interesting topics. So I'm keen to hear a lot more about the work you do uh, as a clinical nutritionist. You know, we're going to be talking about autoimmune diseases and their relations to our emotions. We're going to be talking about the links between our relationships and our long-term health. 
busyness and, you know, things like bloating. So things like a lot of listeners struggle with. And I'm loving this conversation and where it's going to go because in when we talk about balance in the balance theory, we break it down into three pillars and that's our health, our relationships and our sense of fulfillment. So I almost feel like today we're going to be touching on, on one on each of those. So balance as you're in for a massive treat today. We're going to start off in the health category. So um, I know you deal with like a lot of deficiencies when it comes specifically to your female patients. There's obviously like a, I mean, what's pretty common is low iron and bloating, I think is something a lot of people struggle with. So I want to start with understanding or getting your your take on what are the most common deficiencies that contribute to those things? Yeah. So look, over the last four years of, of running an online clinic that we have, we generally will treat 80% female patients and we always do some form of testing with our patients, whether it's a functional test or a blood test, we always look at some data to make sense of their symptoms. And pretty much 99% of the time that we get a blood test back, it is deficient in B vitamins, deficient in vitamin D, deficient in iron, like ferritin levels being very low. And almost always we see some form of stress on the thyroid. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that you have a thyroid disorder because the thyroid can take a beating before it really you know, dysfunctions, but we can see that you're coping. A lot of people are coping just through their thyroid overworking. So in saying that, when we look at iron and B12 and protein deficiencies, they all come from a high protein diet. I mean, you can get all of those things from eating a higher protein diet. Sorry, the deficiencies come from having a high protein diet. Is that right? No, sorry. The deficiencies come from not eating enough protein and all of the around. nutrients yeah. that, that people are generally deficient in, you can find from high protein rich foods. And Got it. Yep. what I've realized, especially with female patients, like I went for a walk with my girlfriend, this was months ago now. And I said, I said, babe, I think you should eat more protein in your diet. She was like, I do. I'm like, well, let's calculate it. Like, let's just go over your protein intake throughout the day. <laughs> and she was like, well, I have two eggs in the morning and I have this much chicken at night and yada, yada. And I, I, did a quick calculation in my mind and I said, that's about 38 grams of protein per day because one egg is only about five. And she was shocked. Mm-hmm. She said, what do you mean yeah, right. one egg is five? Yeah, wow. like, yeah, it's most people, most female patients actually drastically undereat, and they go through this cycle of under eating and then over eating. And it just ends up not, it's kind of like self-torture almost. Right. And they become fatigued mm, and everything becomes more difficult. So I found there's been a fear of of protein with a lot of female patients and they almost find it difficult to eat enough. Many of them don't have Mm. that much of an appetite. They don't feel hungry, um, especially when they're operating on higher cortisol levels and things are quite stressful. They they find it difficult to to eat, to be completely honest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I can definitely relate to that, like having a shrunken appetite when you just are in that like fight or flight stressed zone and mode like I I definitely find my appetite takes a hit I want to ask a couple of questions the first one is for people who are doing something I mean like I do a strength based training style workout every single day so for say someone like me versus somebody who's doing a a low impact maybe they're walking with a mix of Pilates let's say would the protein intake need to be significantly different or do you think across the board there is an amount that's I mean, taking out whether my goal is to increase muscle or anything like that, just in terms of general Mm. performance and and optimizing day-to-day health, would the standard kind of be similar 
Um, just because I'd say for the average person, I understand it's going to be different for age and weight and whatnot, but let's just talk in average terms. For sure, yeah. Well, the way I think about that is you have to eat anyway, right? And so if you're not eating a protein-rich diet, you're then likely eating a carbohydrate-rich diet. And I've never met anyone who's carbohydrate deficient. <laughs> I've always met people who are protein deficient. <laughs> so it's and protein isn't just for for building muscle and for staying fit at the gym. It actually helps us create neurotransmitters. It helps us create serotonin and dopamine and melatonin and things that are going to help us get more rest at night and feel better during the day. So it's actually very crucial for just tissue repair overall, whether that's mm. tissue damage from pregnancy, whether it's tissue damage from a surgery or an accident or an injury, or whether that's tissue damage from going to the gym. So the general consensus is 1.5 grams per kilo of body weight at a minimum for most people. Mm -hmm. So if you're a female who weighs 50 kilos, around 75 grams of protein per day would be sufficient. And to reverse engineer that, a an egg has about five grams. A protein shake with one scoop has about 20 to 25. A you know 150 gram serving of chicken breast has about 30. So you can slowly see how it's actually more than you might think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. However, if you're training and you're under higher levels of stress and you demand a little bit more of yourself maybe you run a business maybe you 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 know you have a lot more load let's say you would probably want to get anywhere between two to two point grams per uh, grams per kilo of body weight so that jump is significantly higher yeah eating yeah, that absolutely. makes you feel much more satiated throughout the day you're much less likely to overeat you know foods that aren't going to contribute to your health and snack and you know, so it makes a huge difference. In fact, there was a really good paper that came out that said that people who eat 30 to 40 grams of protein first thing in the morning will eat less overall calories throughout the rest of the day versus people who don't. Because you set yourself up to win instead of going on this blood sugar roller coaster of high blood glucose, yeah. low blood glucose, you feel hangry. And yeah, so I would say most people will do better by increasing the protein in their diet. Yeah, that's super interesting. And you answered one of my other questions, which was, can we sort of reverse engineer what a hypothetical 75 grams a day would look like? Because it's really hard. I mean, it's not always obvious or apparent, right? Like, I mean, I had no idea eggs was only five. I was, I'm that kind of person that was like, yeah, I have like three eggs in the morning and I mean, I have yeah. my shake and whatnot. But I think if I honestly break it down, I maybe we'll be falling flat in, in some of the areas too. So definitely interesting. Uh, something to think about for anybody who is feeling, um, I think like when you're low iron, right, because I've had that in the past and please jump in and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's when you're feeling like that fatigue, um, maybe like really lightheaded, low energy, um, that, that kind of, those kinds of symptoms, like increasing protein, I think um, is such a simple thing we can do, right? I think sometimes we try and run to all these supplements and, um, you know, infusions. And I mean, all those things have a place, but I think we can always start with the simple building blocks, which is like our sleep, our hydration, our nutrition. And those are things that are within our control. Like we don't always have to project outward and, and you know it's someone else's problem to fix it's, it's something we can try ourselves so super interesting i'm sure there are heaps of tools online that where people can plug in how much they're eating to see how much protein they're having as well um, but something really interesting for everybody listening to just consider how much protein are you having um, and what about when we talk about bloating is there any correlation there with having low protein diet or does it come more from the deficiencies of your b vitamins and um, the other things you mentioned before so the B vitamin deficiencies won't 
cause the bloating, but the bloating might cause B vitamin deficiencies. So when we see, it's one thing to eat the protein and to eat the iron, and it's a completely other thing to assimilate and absorb those nutrients. Mm. And if you have impaired digestive issues, like if you've got bloating or your microvilli, like these little particles that do all the de- all of the absorption and digestion in your small intestines, if they're damaged, if you've got a candida overgrowth, if you've got chronic kind of colitis or something like that, you will do a less, you will do, you know, you will absorb less of the nutrients that you eat. And so you might be eating them, but it's not necessarily being assimilated. Mm. And that's mm-hmm. how, that's how some patients end up chronically iron deficient. They top up, they have supplements or an infusion, and then not long after they're deficient again. And the way to think about it mm. is there's essentially a leak in the bucket and you keep filling the bucket, but it keeps pouring out from the bottom. And so yeah. that's something that we often address. We have a look, like we run a, a three-day stool test with our IBS patients and we'll see why they're not absorbing, why they bloated. Is it an infection? Is it clostridia? Is it candida? Is it Klebsiella? Is it, you know, what exactly is going on in their gut and how can we, how can we correct that? Yeah. And is the best way to, I guess, test that gap, like to understand if it is an absorption issue, is the best way to do that through a stool test? Is that what you find is best or is a blood test something that can pick that up too? For bloating and for IBS issues, stool is usually best, but not all stool tests are made equal. Some of them, the one that we run now, we take four samples over three days. So it gives us three samples to work with rather than one so we can validate the results over and over again mm-hmm. and it's pretty much the most comprehensive one that i've been able to find and i've done plenty for myself because i had lots of ivs issues bloods will tell us what's going on nutritionally like what your overall nutrient status is like but that they don't necessarily tell us why mm-hmm. some practitioners might disagree some i know some practitioners don't like to run stool testing i found it very beneficial like we've had patients who have come to us with diarrhea and loose bowel motions 15 times a day, constant bloating. And after about six weeks of treatment, go back to completely normal and not have to take Nexiums and not have to take medications to to deal with their digestive issues. So I I find it very beneficial. Yeah. Yeah. I've done, I mean, I've with the nutritionist I worked with uh, and naturopath, I, I mean, I've done all of those sorts of tests, so I can definitely vouch for you know, the results and, and just the understanding that comes out of it. So 100% back yeah. you there. Is it fair to say that bloating is not normal? Yes. As in, <laughs> we, shouldn't be, we shouldn't be bloating? I would say so, yeah. The way I describe it is when I ask patients, how is your gut health like? If they answer with, I don't really know, I've never thought about it, that's a good answer. Because it means that it's working in the background. It's doing, your digestive system is working, you're processing things properly, and you never really have to think about it because it's never a problem. So, mm-hmm. you know, they say, you know, I said, what are your bowel movements like? And they go, yeah, good. I don't really think about it. I have one a day and okay, cool. There's no problem. But if it's at the forefront of your mind, if you notice yourself, you know, I'm gassy, I'm bloated, I'm, I, I have to think about where the nearest bathroom is. And I hear this all the time. I don't want to go on long car trips in cases no bathroom around. If those are the thoughts at the forefront of your mind, there is a problem. So yeah, a symptom becomes a problem when it affects your everyday living. Once you have to start changing things, then it's then it's not normal. Yeah, yeah, love that. 
Now, we've spoken a little bit on uh, the physical health side of things. I want to cross over to more the mental, emotional health side because I definitely think that it's not in isolation. I think it's a contributor. I mean, we know how widespread stress is and the impact it can have on our body, not only short-term but long-term. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts about the link between emotions and autoimmune diseases. Um, you know, is there a is there a, cr- a crossover? I mean, you hear so many times like autoimmune diseases come up and, and people always say, we don't know what the source is, we don't know how these come about. So I'm really curious to understand your thoughts on the link between uh, those and, and emotions, maybe potentially as a source or a con- contributing factor. I mean, I'll, I'll hand the mic over to you. Yeah, great question. Look, some doctors and specialists will say that there's no link and that's fine. Um, I disagree. <laughs> I think a great resource, actually, a really good doctor to research if you're, if you're curious about this topic is Dr. Gabor Mate. His body of work on this is really good. He's written a great book called When the Body Says No, and it's all about the link between trauma and autoimmune. But what the reason why that came to mind when we were kind of brainstorming about what to talk about, because that day I had a call with a patient, and funny enough, I had another call today with another female patient who had a very similar story. And I I kind of reverse engineered it. I said, when did your IBS start? And she said, oh, it started when I was about 21. I said, what do you think was the trigger? Like what happened at that time of your life that you think kicked off this condition? She said, well, I got married when I was 20 and I wanted a divorce at 21, but my parents didn't let me divorce. Like they, they didn't want us to, comes from a very traditional family. And I'm still with that person and I'm not necessarily sad, but I've kind of just accepted that that's what it is. And so often it's either adverse childhood events or really stressful adult events, whether that's a divorce or financial stress or the loss of a spouse or sometimes surgery or car accidents that will trigger this immune response. And Mm. it's, it's almost always the case that people who struggle with chronic illnesses like autoimmune tend to be more how do I say this? People pleasers, they like to keep harmony. They don't want to disappoint. They don't really want to say no. Um, And so they take on a lot and they do a lot and they have a difficult time making other people uncomfortable. And so eventually their physiology starts to express that in different ways because they don't express Mm -hmm. it verbally. And we'll touch on that when we talk about relationships, but just because you don't necessarily feel stressed, as in a lot of people tend to increase their level of resilience to stress, all of a sudden, a lot of stress becomes normal. Their physiology tells Mm -hmm. a different story. So if we were to look at their heart rate or their blood pressure or their cortisol levels in that moment in time, they would be very stressed, but on the surface, they look... A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Fine. Yeah. So. Yeah. Does it have to do, I mean, so many times we hear that the gut is the second brain, right? The gut is responsible for a lot of the ways that we think and we feel and the way we act. And the way I always like to think of things is that ultimately pain and emotion, it's stored somewhere in the body. And unless we give that time and space to process, it's it's held somewhere, right? And it's so interesting. I mean, my fiance's background is as a chiropractor. 
And in a very similar vein, like triggers, he always kind of had this very holistic approach as well, where things that have happened in our life are stored physically in our physiology. And for him, that was like manifesting as pain or niggles or, or long-term chronic issues. Mm. Um, and I can definitely appreciate how that would cross over with our nutrition. Do you think it affects the gut specifically because of that gut-brain correlation or is it more to do with the impact on the thyroid which is kind of like the brain center of the body and that's where kind of stress is um, impacted the most like what is the reason that we see emotional triggers or traumas impacting uh, autoimmune diseases specifically like what's going on physiologically is it just pain in general or is it something specific with either of those it can be a combination of all of them but let's just look at like one simple mechanism because when you say this to people, a lot of the time they think it's woo-woo and bro science so they don't believe it. But there are actual mechanisms at work that explain why, for example, when you're stressed, your digestion doesn't work as well, right? And, and one of them is just how adrenaline works and what its role in the body is. So I remember when I used to compete in jiu-jitsu tournaments, I would go to the bathrooms like prior to in the morning of the comp, everyone, and you see all these men, all these like fully grown men who are black belts, tough guys in the bathroom trying to have a bowel movement, but they can't, right? Like everyone's essentially shitting themselves, <laughs> right? I think everyone listening can probably relate to that with any stressful situation they're about to go into. Correct. Yeah. But what happens is the brain is actually its only role is really your survival. So above all, it prioritizes you surviving. And it doesn't know the difference between a life-threatening event and a jiu-jitsu tournament. You can't navigate whether you're going to die that day <laughs> or whether you're going to be alive that day. So it, it, it prepares you as if you're going into a life-threatening event. And one of the ways that it can do that is it increases epinephrine and norepinephrine, which is adrenaline. And adrenaline's role is to get the blood, because you only have so much blood available, and to deliver it to your extremities, like your legs and your hands and your feet, so that you can get ready to either run away or fight. Now, that blood has to come from somewhere, and if it's in your extremities, it's not in your organs and your digestive system. So for that period of time, nice. digestion is paused, because it's not priority right now. And mm. you can imagine if you're constantly doing that throughout every time an email comes through, or your boss calls, or you've had an argument with your partner, or Whatever the case is, those little stresses, those little adrenaline spikes are constantly affecting your digestion and that will cause IBS or it will cause diarrhea later that day or constipation or indigestion or acid reflux. Whatever the case is, it's going to cause some form of discomfort. Yeah. Like to me, this is so logical. Like it's so logical when you look at our biology, right? Like the blood is just being sent externally. It moves away. So that system in the body cannot function as it's supposed to because it doesn't have the resources, i.e. the right amount of blood. And I've also always really leaned on this understanding when it comes to females with the menstrual cycle. I think when it comes to being in like a fight or flight situation, reproduction obviously is one of the first things to go because we need to be focusing on breathing and, you know, just pumping blood around the body. Those things take priority in those moments. Um, and I physically experience that when your hormones get out of whack, when you're constantly being exposed to stress and adrenaline. So for me, this is super logical. Um, it, it makes so much sense. And I really appreciate understanding this because I think it just gives you that it's understanding, but it's almost like you can just empathize with your body as like, wow, it does so much in moments where you're under stress. Like it makes sense that it prioritizes and does what it has to. Like, it's just 
operating the way it was biologically made to, which then makes the reverse engineer steps of that seem just logical too. So I hope everyone listening is kind of really appreciating how logical this all feels and sounds. I think it makes things we feel are issues outside of ourselves just feel a little bit more tangible. Um, let's shift sure. a little bit now into the relationship category, uh, something I find really interesting, how our current relationships, let's say whether it's in a love life, whether it's through friendships or whether it's in our family. I mean, I know you touched on people pleasing, which is something I know a lot of listeners struggle with. How do our relationships have an impact on our long-term health? This is something I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on. Yeah. So this is a uh, interesting one because I, I'm by no means a relationship expert, um, but I work with people, mm-hmm. I work with patients all of the time. And I've probably had over a thousand, maybe even 2000 consults with people. And I, I do ask about their relationships. I ask, you know, what is your partner like? Are they supportive? Will they help, will they help you through this? Do they think, you know, and a lot, some of the time, actually a lot of the time it's, they don't believe that what I'm going through is real. They don't really understand. And so you can see that there's this lack of communication in the relationship. And that's a, insight that I've had, but also I've gone through some stress when it comes to relationship, especially romantic. I'm sure we've all experienced some type of of heartbreak, some type of toxicity, something that we're really uncomfortable with. And in that time to get, I guess, really vulnerable and personal, like there was one time in my life that I had a complete meltdown. Like I was in my car driving. There was so much stress. I felt like it was just all going to explode. I pulled over and I just cried and I just had a complete what I would describe as the first time ever having a panic attack. And in that moment, I was like, I need to find someone to speak to and it needs to be a professional. And I've never done this before, but I just called like 12 different clinics. And I found one psychologist who I, I thought was absolutely amazing. And I worked with him for 12 months. And he used a specific type of therapy called ACT therapy, which is acceptance commitment therapy. And mm-hmm. I had to ask him, I said, look, what like, what is a healthy relationship? Like, I don't, I'm not sure that I know anymore because I, I actually don't know what I'm aiming towards. If I don't know what I'm aiming towards, how am I ever going to get there? And so he described a body of work um, by the Gottman Institute. Have you ever heard of the Gottman Institute before? I have heard of it, yes. When he described it to me, it made so much sense. He said, look, a healthy relationship has a 10 to 1 ratio of positive to negative experiences. So it's okay to argue and you should argue. Otherwise, you're not really bringing up things that bother you. But the ratio should be 10 to 1. So 10, I love yous, acts of affection, I'll make you a coffee, let's support each other. And then every now and again, you have a negative experience. But that's a healthy kind of balance. And in the Gottman Institute, like the way you communicate with someone, and I don't know if if you've ever seen the four horsemen of the apocalypse, but basically what they did is they would bring couples in together and, and they would hook them up to physiological monitors like heart rate and blood pressure and and see how they interact. And they were able to predict which couples would end up divorced and which ones would stay together. Wow. And they picked four different communication patterns that the ter- kind of indicate that that couple is not going to make it. And those were criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. And I thought that was really interesting. And I thought, wow, I wonder like, how is criticism helpful? How is defensiveness helpful? How is stonewalling helpful? And we do these things sometimes just by habit and just kind of emotional response, but it's really helpful to to not do them <laughs> and to find different mm-hmm. ways to to express yourself. But 
you can imagine that same level of stress that you would have from like adverse events if you're having that daily in your relationship and you are essentially in a partnership but you feel alone mm. what's the point what's the point of, of even trying to feel better if you feel stuck so it's i think relationships like interpersonal relationships especially romantic are one of the the biggest indicators of lifelong health and happiness if if you don't mm. have a harmonious kind of respectful relationship is going to be very unlikely that you'll be you know as healthy as you want to be yeah i i find this really really interesting would you say that the so say you have those instances of criticism and contempt would you say the the impact to your physiology is very similar to having like those adrenaline spikes like it puts you in a bit of a stress response is is that a similarity we can draw or is it something a bit different yeah, absolutely. It really does. And 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 sometimes it can last for days. Like I know for me, mm. because I don't like disharmony, I don't like to argue. If we if I have an argument with my girlfriend, I'll probably not sleep very well that night. And it'll drag over mm. onto the next day and I'll want to make it better and I'll want to figure out a way to move forward from it. And I think that's normal. And I think most people should feel that way because if you if you don't feel somewhat uncomfortable with arguing with your partner or having uh, you know, fights, then maybe there's something bigger to worry about. But I think, um, <laughs> I think, yeah, it, it definitely puts your body in more of a stressful state. It increases inflammatory cytokines. Like it literally will increase the inflammatory state of your body in that moment in time. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so you yeah. do that over and, and over again and you do it daily. It, it has huge effects. And then you layer that on top of if you've got a stressful job, and then you just have other things in general going on in your life and then you're coming home and you're having those stress reactions with within a relationship. Like it's just kind of all compounding all at once. It's like all the areas of your life are working against you. Um, on the note of, of having an argument, I mean, that 10 to 1 I think is really important to emphasise because I think so many of us have this very skewed and, and I totally blame the media for it, you know, or just, you know, even even the way we watch Disney movies growing up and everything looks so perfect and relationships just seem like happily ever after. I think definitely a point to emphasise is the fact that having those disagreements is completely normal because you are your own human at the end of the day and you're going to have things that you struggle with and so naturally you have to share that experience with others. And if you truly are authentic to yourself and speaking your mind, you're never 100% of the time going to agree with everybody else on this planet. I mean, there are days I don't even agree with myself. So it's so unrealistic <laughs> to expect that from yeah. my relationship. Uh, yeah. But well, one rule we have is because of the impact fighting or arguing has on my sleep, we have a rule. And, and I mean, under sleep as well, we have a rule. We can't go to sleep on bad terms. We always try and talk through it so that we can just have, like, even if we're not, not technically resolving, we try and not go to sleep you know, against each other. And I, I think a really nice way to look at a, a partnership or relationship is it's not you against them. It's you're a team at the end of the day. It's both Correct. of you against the problem. And so if you're disagreeing on something, that's a problem that you can then combine forces and work out together. That's how we always try and, and reframe it. And I mean, it doesn't, you're not always going to agree. Like nothing's perfect all the time, but, but just having that, like communication is just so important, right? Like just I'm not one of those people that can just leave things for days and do the whole silent treatment thing. Like it's yeah. just it eats away at me. I can physically <laughs> feel my body like just rejecting yeah. life if, if I yeah. if I go Absolutely. into that. 
So I can definitely imagine like long term the impacts that has on our health. And I mean, even having close, let's take it out of relationship, like love relationships or um, romantic mm. relationships, even with friendships. Like if you have those friends, which I've absolutely had in the past, that you have to step on eggshells around them. You have to, you know, you're getting stressed out before you even send them a message. That is going to have a very similar effect too. Like ultimately, and I always think you don't need to have relationships. They are a bonus. They're a value add. So make sure that they're giving you that. They're contributing to your life in a positive way because I think when you really peel it down and you're like, wow, this actually impacts my health, it's a completely different ballgame. Like when you think about people pleasing someone to the detriment of yourself, just remind yourself that that's actually impacting your long-term health. That really changes things. Like don't you think that really puts into perspective, I mean, um, interpersonal relationships we have, like it, it zooms out and gives them this wider context that puts so much more on the line rather than just I'm going to hurt those, that person's feelings, you know? Absolutely. And, and the thing is, I mean, there's a, an opportunity cost, right? You only have so much time, you only have so much effort to put into different relationships and different friendships. And every time you put it towards something that's not good for you, that you know deep in your heart that that person is not your type of person, or maybe for whatever reason you've seen something, a pattern, every time you put your effort and time towards them, you are taking it away from somebody else. And mm -hmm. whether that's your partner or your mom or your parents or your siblings or somebody who truly loves you and will probably do anything mm -hmm. for you, and you know, why would you want to continue those relationships and i know that sounds maybe a bit mean and unforgiving but i genuinely think life is way too short for me to to continue trying to please somebody that ultimately i never can yeah absolutely and um i think like when you hit your late 20s i mean it was definitely an experience i had you almost have that moment where you're like I only really am going to put time into people I care about. Like, what am I? I mean, I was that 18 year old that would have a hundred acquaintances. I'd go and have coffee and make sure I had all the friendships all the times. Like now I'm like, why would I do that? Like I can have a handful of friends that I give all my energy to and that I know are always there for me. Like they're, they're the real deal. Um, so if you have those relationships in your life, like nurture those and ultimately they're contributing to your health, which I think is also such a beautiful way to think about it. And also in reverse, like by you having positive and strong bonds with other people, you're contributing positively to their health, which is a really nice like zoom out reframe um, and really good for anyone listening who has needed a little bit more of a push to maybe get out of relationships that are not serving them um, or to just, you know, give them a little bit more perspective and context uh, as to for the real sure. damage that it's doing. Marco, I have really enjoyed chatting to you today. I feel like we've touched on all the balance areas and given everyone a really big wake-up call, I think, with how things that they're probably doing every single day are not only impacting their sense of balance, but their actual, like, the longevity of their lives and their health. I think uh, your approach uh, is very holistic and is warmly welcomed within the context of what we speak about. I know everyone would have gotten so much out of our chat today. So first of all, a big thank you for your time. And second of all, for everyone listening who maybe wants to connect with you, work with you, follow along, where's the best place they can go? And I'll pop some links in the show notes. Sure. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I really, really enjoyed it. Best place to get in contact. Obviously, everybody probably has Instagram. So Marco's Daily Dose is my personal handle. It's Marco with a K. The company Instagram page is called Humanly Wellness. So Human L-I Wellness. 
humanlywellness.com is the website. You guys can go in there, submit a form or an application. And if you leave a note in the form saying that you're from the podcast, I'll give you a call. I'll contact you and we'll see if you can get you some help. So yeah, that's where you can find us. Amazing. Perfect. Well, I'll pop links to all of that. I really appreciate your time and, and thank you again. Thank you, Erica. Thank you so much. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.